HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. I'm Michael Ameko from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here, sorry, I'm drinking too early in the day. Now I'm really worried about you getting my <laughs> name correct. No, no. Why don't you say your own name? Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Uh, I think because you're scared, too. You little, you a little bit. A little, there's a lot actually. of C's, a lot of double letters. <laughs> it's very, it goes deep in the Italian. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, Louis DiBacari. Better known or, or Louis DiBacari, depending. I mean, my mom would want me to say Louis, but I think else would Greater Bean Town knows you as the unofficial mayor of Boston, <laughs> Louis DiBacari. <laughs> Welcome to the show, straight off the Boston Marathon at that which happened yesterday, yeah, Patriots man. Day, yeah, and man. I kind of want to start with that because we we were chatting about how important it is to Boston now. I mean, it's always been important, but how it's changed obviously over the last few years and you know what the marathon means to that city yeah um, the, the marathon has always been one of the more epic sort of days and events in boston it's it's something that had a true identity with the city and uh and and it went from being something that i think was fun that you went to to something that now you almost feel is mandatory that you attend you know and in a very good way and uh where where maybe like the decibel of, of how hard you cheered for someone reached like an eight sometimes it's just tens across the board now and where maybe it was uh you take breaks and you'd go uh wander off and then come back like people just stay fixated in their spot and they cheer for every single person that goes by as if every person that goes by is like big poppy you know yeah. we, we have that that sort of camaraderie with all the runners and it's a very it's a very special event when you think about it because there's no like there's no spring training for it you know there's athletes from all around the world, but it's not the Olympics. Uh, it, 
you can't attach yourself to the runners in the same way you do uh, the athletes that play for the Celtics, the Boston, the Boston Bruins, the Patriots, the Red Sox. But for that one day, they are your favorite athletes in the city. And it, it, it trumps everything. Yeah, and Tavern Road. It's not very special about that. Yeah, your, your restaurant, I, I think it has a really similar identity in that sense, um, where it has that global you know, uh, perspective on food, but also on camaraderie. You, know, um, you have a lot of people after the race come over to you know, your restaurant in, in Fort Point and use that as a place of celebration. Yeah, for me, I mean, that was, that was, I, I thought about this yesterday. I, I really reflected back on the last two years of Tavern Road, and I, I ask myself questions all the time. One of the questions I asked myself was why. Why did you open a restaurant? Why did you feel compelled to do something like this? Um, it certainly isn't for the lifestyle, you know. But uh, but when when all your friends there are sort of coming in from out of town, L.A. or wherever, and they're and they're running in the marathon, all your friends that are local and they're running in the marathon, but their their people, their families are coming in from all around, and they all congregate at your restaurant afterwards. Uh, it answers the question: Why did I do this? You know, this is this is this is what it's about. It's about friends. And family all having a place to go to, you know, that meeting place, that third place where they can celebrate that accomplishment and you want to celebrate it with them. But you get to feed them also. Yeah. And um, that might just be my Italian gene kicking it. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, you know, having gone to college, you, you really couldn't cook and you took that for granted. Your, your family's like scratch cooking. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't even know why I went to college, to be honest with you. I think it was mostly just to have that phase of my life where I experimented with drugs and massive amounts of alcohol. But once I got through that, I realized that I didn't. I, I was not college material at all. But at least during that, you learned how to perfect the calzone. It, <laughs> the one good thing that came from going to the college I went to, and it had the worst cafeteria in food I've ever experienced anywhere. And it would, it would be wrong for me to say what college that is, so I'll just say its initials are Fitchburg State. And while there, I got to tell you, I had to cook just f- for survival. I just needed to get myself out of that program they had. And I, uh, I called home, and I was like, Ma, how do you make uh, you know, the meatballs? How do you make uh, you know, that gravy? And uh, I called my aunts and be like, how do you, uh, you know, cook a turkey or whatever, whatever it was? And, uh, and then I started sort of picking up some books and just sort of flipping through the pages, and I found some inspiration, and I, and, and I found inspiration through – more than anything, not really the way the food was coming out, because if I was to go back and eat that food now, I'd probably be like, God, you really sucked at this. <laughs> but my, my friends loved it. You know, I mean, they, they were getting a home-cooked meal, which was something that was very, very rare at a, at a state college. And, um, and just because of the way they made me feel uh, when, I, when I would do that for them, it made me feel good. And I wanted to go off and do that more and more and more. And I think that's where I fell in love with hospitality, maybe even more so than food. I mean, you, you went away to culinary school to get a formal education, but then you ended up back in Boston again, you know, working at, what is that, uh, uh, the, the season at season at the Millennial oh, Boston Hotel. Seasons, I got there probably, you know, one generation too late. But when I arrived at culinary school, I did a lot of research on, you know, where I wanted to work and, and you know, what kind of path I wanted to start to pay for myself. And uh, Seasons Restaurants seemed to be the place in Boston where all the top chefs came out of like a like a farm system like they all just sort of grew out of this it was like the notre dame of uh of 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 culinary oh, see, yeah. i thought you were gonna go lowell or pawtucket come on it's, it's red sox I'm, season. I'm, a gener- I'm i'm part of the 80s generation yeah. so notre dame was ruled back then and uh when i uh i thought about following their footsteps i knew i had to go through seasons in order to do that you know some of the biggest names in boston and boston culinary scene right now came through 
seasons at the Bostonian Hotel. Lydia Shire, Jasper White, sure. yeah, Jody, Jody Adams, Adams, all of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At some point or another, they they touched those stoves. You know, I wanted to do the same thing, and then uh, you know they all went off and opened up their own restaurants, and uh, and then they their sous chefs went off and opened other restaurants. And, you know, the rest is history. Boston became like this dynamic, booming culinary scene. You know, uh, you know, nationally recognized for for its chefs and its restaurants, and uh, and it's probably right now at its peak. You know. Well, let's talk about the second floor of a townhouse and how that transformed your career. All right. Uh, first off, Les Balliers probably should have never been a restaurant. Uh, the fact that it was, and it was for such a long period of time, is sort of a testament to how much talent went through there that cared about the about the space and about the restaurant and how charming it was. And uh, it, it was, it was, it still felt like you were in someone's home the whole time you were there, but in like 1890. You know, it was, <laughs> it was amazing. And uh, the food we did out of there was, I think, probably some of the best uh, that Boston's ever seen. I thought we had some of the most amazing crews I ever worked with there. And uh, when you think about, you know, the lifespan of a restaurant, uh, some last five years. And some have a great five-year run, but the last five years, some last ten years. And they have great decade-long run in the last ten years, you know. And uh, and Les Bellies has been going at it for over 30 years. And if you look at that around the country, like, who has been – either number one, two, or three in their city for 30 freaking years. I mean, that's that's kind of an amazing accomplishment. I mean, up until... And that was a very small yeah. part of that, but just to just to even sort of you know, have your name be on that roster somewhere. Right, I think that's what Boston is. Boston's love legacy. Yeah. You know, and, and up until, I think, last year, when Hammersley's closed, you know, Gordon had, I think, 26 years under his belt. And you look at Lydio and, you know, Lockover, and though it went through many different chefs, that had, you know, almost, uh, you know, 100 years under his belt. I mean, there, there are some really uh, ingrained restaurants in that city. Right, and... And pioneers, you know, you're talking about pioneers, you're talking about people that, uh, you know, started it all, really, in a lot of ways in that city, and broke Boston free of its, uh, of cliches, you know, like being a Boston, a baked bean town, and all this other crap that it never really was, and, and kind of got a bad rap for, and these guys came along and said, no, 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 no not at all, you know, we, we do real food here, and here it is, and, uh, and Boston started to get national acclaim when, when those guys kind of put their feet down and said, nope. We're going to change things here. After 12 years at the Spalier and with that team, you went traveling a little bit. Again, drawn back to Boston. You can't, you can't take the Boston out of, you know, the Linfield boy. No, it's hard. And, uh, well, you know, Linfield itself, it's hard to get out of. It's, it's, most, people don't, most people don't realize this exactly, but we all know if we're there, if we're from there, that Linfield is the center of the universe. And you don't realize that till you get outside of Linfield and you realize how many places Linfield touches. Like, I can't walk into a room. There's probably someone here at Roberta's Eating Pizza right now that's from Linfield. Every time I see fluff on the shelves, even though that's Lynn, it's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Traveling the world, bringing those things back to Boston. You know, uh, you got to start your career. You got to start this vision of a restaurant and you were consulting for some. But what really kind of you know, helped you make your name there are uh, Chef Louis Knights. Yeah. T- tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, those were wild. Uh, I miss those a lot, actually. I mean, I, I'm constantly reminding myself that I have to bring these things back. They were they were Boston's first ever pop-up, I guess, and I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the, the idea of the pop-up, but or the name, the pop-up, uh, it's kind of silly, isn't it? Kind of perfect. When you say it, yeah. when you hear yourself <laughs> saying it, you're like, I feel really silly saying this. Uh, 
it was more of an interactive dining experience, you know. Um, sure, it wasn't in a traditional restaurant spot for what we were doing, but uh, the idea was you went to a website, you voted for a theme and ingredients. We didn't find out what you voted for until the day of the event. And then myself and six other chefs would run around the city like, like, like zoo animals, just trying to find all the ingredients and put the theme and the ingredients together. And we had, you know, like eight hours to do it. And people would pay, people actually paid money for tickets to this thing and they'd come to it. And, uh, and we put out like five, six courses of some really bomb ass cool food, sometimes using like pop rocks, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it all, it all depended on sort of what the theme was. And sometimes the theme was, you know, something orange, which meant I just had to go to the grocery store and find things that were orange and like make the whole meal in some way kind of reflect that theme. Sometimes it was, uh, you know, anything from aisle 12. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> it, it, I, that could have been the magazine aisle. Like, yeah. I, who knows? You know, by the time I got to the store, who even knows what's in aisle 12? And the idea was really fun. And I think that you've seen sort of that idea be used in a lot of reality television now. I think that, uh, you know, Top Chef uses like a lot of those similar kind of scenarios for like uh, their little segments of what they do also because it's, it's, it's awesome. It's fun. It's super entertaining. It's really challenging. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, I think the chef gets as much out of, as much out of it as the audience does. You know, the, they're both kind of looking at this challenge, going, "What the hell are we going to do?" Yeah, <laughs> you know? but even more so, you're engaging the community. You know, you, yeah. you're letting them vote on ingredients, on yeah. themes, uh, interact in a way that a lot of yeah. some of the older Boston restaurants, you know, n- never de- deviated from. That, that's what made it different. That's what kind of separated it. Uh, it, it. It had its identity because you could interact with it you could vote for the theme and ingredients you you played a role and then you come to the dinner and then we tell you what we did with the ingredients you voted for and how we rolled it into the theme that you voted for so you became a part of the show and then you know by the by the end of it um just before we had opened tavern road we had introduced a television production aspect of it where i actually had more people on payroll producing uh real time youtube videos where you could see the strategy session in the morning, you know, the preparation, uh, the shopping, uh, all the execution happening during the day. Cause I really like that. That was the part that we were missing in the beginning was you came to the event, you ate the food, but you couldn't really see the action. Everyone wants to see it. So we found a way to show it to them, but it was tough. It was a really hard model to pull off. And, uh, we were just starting to get kind of our feet under us with it. And then, uh, you know, 343 Congress street came along and there was a space available, and it was in the artist community, and uh, that kind of pulled at my heartstrings a little bit, and it got my got me going a little bit. And I said, "Yeah, I want to open a restaurant here." And uh, we signed a lease, and that sort of ended everything else for for the last two years. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break on that and come back with lots of action. Tavern Road, Crate, Boston. You've been listening to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network We'll be right back. Awesome. is Intrigue by Obesity. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. The 
The following program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. Hey, and welcome back to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with Louis DiBicari of Tavern Road. Now, this is awesome, by the way. Oh, thank you. I can't believe we're just sitting here just eating, watching people eat pizza on a patio. But this this whole idea of the show is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, like, again, I don't know if I would have like taken a one day trip to New York for anyone but you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm serious thank when you. I say that. Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of ties to Boston. You have a lot of roots in Boston. Yeah. And like you and I, I don't know if you realize this, we have 35 mutual Facebook friends. So you no, and I are no. practically bros. Yeah, exactly. I like that 35. I feel like is that threshold of bro on, on Facebook. <laughs> but I feel that too, just because Jamie Bissonnette's been on the show. But he yeah. was also on the show because I've known that guy for a decade. And right. when, when you work in the industry and you know cook with these guys you're brethren instantly and you know yeah. that that bloodline's never yeah. lost cook so. with them i think i'm feeding his cats tonight yeah <laughs> as long as you're not cooking his cats even though i know they're big I, big I, ass uh i kind of like, like th- yeah 30 pounds <laughs> and i apologize jamie if your cats go missing after today's show but i want to talk about tavern road and and create boston at the same time because they were very simultaneous uh, create boston actually started before tavern road but they both melded this idea of having chefs and the art community, you know, uh, converse. Right. Yeah. Create started. Uh, it actually, it started six years before I actually launched it. Uh, that's when it I c- kind of gave birth in my head. And uh, I carried around with me for, for that many years, uh, trying to figure out the timing on how to roll it out and, you know, just kind of having the balls to roll it out. Um, I, I don't know anything really about the artist community at the time, you know, I, I, I knew people in the artist community a little bit, but what do I know about throwing an art show? I'm not a curator, you know, but, uh, but I couldn't get the thought out of my mind of, of artists and chefs collaborating together and creating installations and the idea of this being like an event, like a festival with, uh, with bartenders and music and, uh, and different types of, uh, of like little pockets of, uh, of different things going on all over the place and having it be like an all day thing on a Sunday, you could go and just like hang out at. And the more it started developing in my head, the more I realized that I needed to take it back to its beginning, its roots of artists and chefs and just start it, you know, just, just try to get the thing going and then have a, a, a long-term plan for it. So in the first year that we did it, you know, we had six artists, we had six chefs and, uh, I didn't know what to expect. And we sold 150 tickets, which was fine. It was a very small venue. I don't think we could have done any more people if we tried. And what I was really shocked by was how amazing and wild the installations were. When you get, when chefs operate with one side of their brain and artists work with a similar side of their brain, but still a little bit different. You know, they're kind of off kilter. They're not exactly the same culinary forces. But when you take those two people with that think sort of like-mindedly, but differently, and you put them together and you ask them to create something together, they start thinking about their art differently and the chef starts thinking about their food a little bit differently in order to conform to the other person's style of medium. And what we realized is that there's, there's no ceiling on this thing. It can get as wild as we wanted to get because these guys are ready to push envelopes. Let's they want about- to bring their A game and create has turned into 
one of the more fascinating events I've ever been to. I mean, just hearing about some of the collaborations in the past, um, it was the one with the woodworkers, and they built this whole, literally, like, oh, truck. The individuals yeah. are legendary in Boston for their woodworking. You know, there's a lot of people that work with wood and reclaim wood, and you can buy, like, picture frames and, and furniture and, you know, candle holders, stuff like, all, all, all these things. And, and those things are all great. They're all important. I have some of that stuff in my house. Um, but these guys create theater. They take reclaimed wood, and they create friggin' theater. They put shows on. They created this one installation where they had, like, these alien guys that came down from space, and all the, and, like, one's, like, the, uh, the chef, and one's the maitre d'. They've basically taken over a cafe, killed all the humans, like, very Twilight Zone-esque, you know what I'm talking about? And they started serving the food, the humans as food, like, part of, like, they were the menu. And they called it Lovesick Cafe. Like, that's the brand. And in the first year, they did Lovesick Cafe, and they had, uh, I paired them with uh, Jason Cheek, who uh, was the sous chef of Toro at the time, and Jason did a, a pate or a terrine uh, full of, like, it was truck full of, like, uh, livers and kidneys and hearts and tongue, and I was like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> bingo, you nailed it. You know, that's exactly what, that, per- that works perfectly with the, with what the individuals do. And, uh, you know, the next year they did a, they did a food truck. And we had Alex Crab from Asta on there, and he was doing like popcorn out of the, uh, no, I put cotton candy out of the, out of the food truck, but on like, uh, on like asparagus sticks, so you could eat the whole thing. And it was very cool the way they just sort of all collaborate and create, uh, you know, different installations. And every single time, it's it's something very very different. And there's always six artists, and there's always six chefs. But in year three, we were able to bring in six bartenders also, and they joined the collaboration. And this year, finally, uh, you know, I, I, in year four. Uh, we're going to have two of the better um, live music bands you can have in Boston with uh, Bo Pope and Tiger Manuel and two of the hottest bands in Boston right now uh, performing. And we're sort of getting very close to having a festival here, yeah. which was not really the game plan. But, I mean, you got to let it just grow organically and take on a life of its own and just try to just try to hold it, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's such an amazing thing how things develop like that because in, in your, you know, childhood, you had an uncle who was a big influence on your life, a master sculptor at that, yeah. Adio. Tell yeah. me about him and his brother-in-law, uh, yeah. Angelo. Uh, Adio and Angelo were sort of the inspirations behind uh, a lot of what you see at Tavern Road, uh, visually. Uh, when, we, when we found our location in Four Point, and if you don't know this, or you probably know this, but a lot, a lot of listeners might not, Four Point in Boston is New England's oldest and largest artist community. And it's also one of the largest redevelopment projects in Boston history. And what you're seeing is um, a, a period right now where the artists are sort of being displaced and the innovation district is sort of coming in. And uh, in, in a way, that's it's a very good thing that the area is being developed, and in a way, it's it's sort of a very sad thing that the, the city of Boston hasn't really made any plans to um, foster artists back into the community in some way. And in a lot of ways, that's what Create's mission statement was from day one. It was to foster artists back into the community because we realized what was happening in the artist communities. And with Tavern Road, we decided we had an opportunity to plant our feet in the ground right in the middle of Four Point and say, this is still the artist community. That's the DNA of this area. That's the integrity of this area. That's how this area was born and built. And we want, as long as we're here, whether it's 10 years or 20 years, we want to represent that. And so we connected the dots between my family's history with my uncles that were sculptors and our location in Four Point. And the way we did that was not just with a 30-foot by 6-foot mural showing uh, lots of their artwork, which was inspired by um, uh, the 
Project Super Friends, which is a group of graffiti artists that also do create, but also by naming the restaurant Tavern Road, because that's where my uncle's studio was. It was on Tavern Road over near the MFA. So we felt that this storyline connected a lot of dots between our family's history in the artist community and being a, having a restaurant in Fort Point. And our intention is to keep our, our feet planted there and constantly scream, hey, this is not the innovation district. Yeah. This is the artist community, and it always will be. And no matter how many businesses you bring in here, you know we're, we're always going to remember who built it. And this is family, too. I mean, you look at the menu itself uh, at Tavern Road, and it harkens back to, I'm sure, some of those Sunday suppers. Yeah. You know, for meatballs, obviously, there's a little more of a global take on, on, on some of the Especially dishes. Especially right now. We're yeah. doing something pretty wild in there. I don't know if they told you about this. No, please do. We're doing what we're, what we're building as a concept takeover. So for the month of April, uh, I burned the Tavern Road menu. We're not doing it at all. And we're doing an entire uh, small plate street food menu, which is uh, similar to what we do at lunch, but extended by about 25 to 30 items. And uh, all small plates from globally inspired from all over the world. And a lot of it is uh, you know reflective of my travels. Um, I'm pretty well-traveled. I've been to a lot of places, seen a lot of things, and eaten a lot of food. And uh, when we opened the, the street food uh, counter during the day as for lunch, you know, when we first opened the restaurant, uh, it, it never really developed into what I wanted it to. It, always, it just kind of automatically became a sandwich shop because that's what people want to grab and go. They just want to take I mean, you're in Fort Point in Boston. And, uh, and, and then I started thinking about it more and more, and I wondered how it would function as an independent restaurant space. And I started to write that write that out on paper and the more i the more i contributed to it you know with my imagination uh the more i wanted to see it become a reality and then i just sort of picked april and said fuck it let's do something wild let's just burn this goddamn menu and start over and see what happens and we can do it for 30 days as a as like a just a concept takeover and see see how people respond to it so no Be- more chickpea bites no they're still there i found a way to keep <laughs> them on uh, yeah people i got scared there for a they second picketed and outside the restaurant with signs i mean it would have been like craziness out there but uh the idea was to was to bring that that street food feeling into the restaurant so we even got an artist to come in uh my friend marcus and he hung uh street art all around the restaurant and we're looking to maybe keep it going for another month or so and and keep developing it and see what different phases we can introduce and and how we can kind of reconcept what we're doing a little bit more into more of a street food vibe um, it wasn't really the plan going into it, but the response we've been getting from the staff and from our customer base has been so overwhelmingly positive and people are so excited about it that it's hard to ignore that. Yeah. yeah. Street food is hot. And, and you go back to create. You have uh, um, Alex Hull of My My Kitchen. Yeah. You know, working. And look, look at that phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're looking for more of that with create. We're looking for more of those uh, chefs. That are, uh, you know, create is not for, you know, I mean, we, we mentioned Jamie earlier. It's really not for him or for Ken Oranger or for Barbara Lynch or any of these people. You know, they're so established. It's it's for their sous chefs. Uh, we want the rising stars. We want the next generation. We want to be the ones to introduce you to the next generation of great chefs in Boston, the people that are going to define the city of Boston for the next 10 years, 15 years. We want to want you to get the, your, your, your first glimpse of them through create. And similarly with the artists. So what artists, chefs, and bartenders are on the lineup for this here? So um, we're going to have, uh, uh, you said, Alex from Maymay. Uh, we're also looking at 
I gotta pull my phone out. <laughs> well, Jason Cheek is Jason back, but this Cheek time it's every single time. Alex Crab does it just about every year, uh, and we try to create variety and have new chefs. But they, they, every year they do it, they call and say, "Can we do it again?" So it's hard to sort of say no to them. And uh, for bartenders, we've got uh, you know uh, Dan Lynch, Randuan, who is just like bartender of the world. I don't know mm-hmm. or something like that. He was on the cover of GQ. He's all over the place. Uh, Tenzin from Trade, Sabrina from Deep, Deep Ellum, Tyler Wang from Audubon, Vic from Sarma, like one of the hottest restaurants Somerville's ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and then we have, uh, you know, Kenji, uh, who's one of the top artists in Boston right now, a uh, graffiti artist. Guy worked on our mural at our restaurant also. Uh, uh, my boy Marcus, uh, Natasha, uh, Natasha Mustache, a photographer in Boston. Uh, Kevin Stanton, Mo Pope, who doubles as, a, uh, as, a, as, as the... You know, he does music. He's going to be performing, and he's also going to be an artist there, too. He's a painter, and his work is, like, off the chain. It's unbelievable. Uh, Alex Sayas from Puritan & Company. Uh, Renee Conley, the pastry chef at uh, Cafe Art Science. Yeah, that's it, man. That's the that's the lineup. You know, what, what's amazing about hearing those fantastic, you know, people attending and participating in this event is you have no idea what's going to happen. Like, you have no idea what this collaboration between the artists and the chefs and the bartenders are going to be until you show up. And that's almost the most exciting thing. I get to be a participant in that way. You know, I, uh, I don't really know. They can tell me what it's going to be like, but I don't totally know what it's going to be like. And I don't dictate any of how it's going to go down. I, I don't want to stifle anyone's creativity. I tell them, I'm here to enable you. I'm an enabler. Tell me what you want. I'm going to make it happen for you. That's it. I'll spend the money. I'll, I'll break the rules. You know, I'll lie to the venue. <laughs> I'll do whatever yeah. it takes to, get to make sure that you're going to – I hope the venue is listening to this. But I'll make sure that you're – whatever you want to happen and whatever message you're trying to send, you'll be able to do it. Do they call you the chef's menino? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they should. I miss that mumble so much. There's only one, man. Yeah. It's happening Sunday, June 7th from 2 to 6 p.m. at the Fairmount Battery Wharf. And it's actually just the Battery Wharf. Just the Battery Wharf. We ba- get a lot of trouble Uh-oh. if you say Fairmount. Crossing that out. Yeah. So this is, this is taped, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Yeah, yeah, excellent. <laughs> Monday, May 4th, tickets go on sale. Get them now. How big is the venue this time? It ain't 150 tickets. We did uh, 450 last year. We're looking to do around the same amount. Um, that, that's a nice crowd for that space. It's kind of right in the water. And we mix it as an indoor-outdoor space. Last year, we had, like, a body painter outside also. Uh, it was a beautiful day. People took a walk down on the harbor walk, put their feet in the water, came back up, had some more food, checked out some more art. This year, you'll be able to, lift to listen to live music also. It, it's the only event that I know of, and I could be wrong, where uh, it appeals to every sense. You know, uh, there's a beverage component. There's a food component. Uh, there's, there's music. And there's art. So it hits, it hits all, your, all your senses. It's a... It's a it's quite the melting pot. And it's create-boston.com, correct? Correct. Now get your tickets before it turns into a full-blown festival. And as always... Or maybe we'll do one here. <laughs> you never know. Sounds great. Let's travel this thing. Let's do it right in the studio for a food scene <laughs> next year. Have as many artists, chefs, just half an hour of pure we collaboration. We might have to knock down one or two or all four of these walls. But yeah, we we're fine that. with that. We need more space anyway. <laughs> and as always, Boston strong. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.